From downtown Los Angeles, this is The City, a podcast focusing on the politics, art, and culture of Los Angeles. I am your host, Garen Kelsaw, along with writer-producer Jonna Sosnowski. We're two Angelinos with a passion for news, dialogue, and our city. This week, we visit Pershing Square Renew, a nonprofit organization formed to steward the revitalization of Pershing Square as downtown rapidly changes around it. We got a chance to talk with Executive Director Eduardo Santana about the effort of this initiative and how the public can be involved. At the heart of it are the memories that they create at that space. Also, we'll bring you the second installment of our series as students at the LAPD Citizens Academy. We'll hear from undercover narcotics officers, gang officers, and senior lead officer Dion Joseph about their work and the challenges here in downtown. Because if you're policing based on your worldview or perception, you end up putting your fellow officers in the mess we're in right now. And in the big question we ask, what is justice? But first, let's talk about Pershing Square. From 5th Street to 6th Street between Hill and Olive, you'll find the five acres of land that comprise Pershing Square. Dedicated as a park in 1866, at the turn of the 20th century, famed architect John Parkinson was responsible for the renovation that reflected Los Angeles' growth socially and economically. The current iteration of the park was rededicated in 1994, but downtown is now changing dramatically once again. When the city council went through redistricting in 2011, Councilmember Weezar identified Pershing Square as a place of particular importance. Enter Pershing Square Renew. It's a collaboration between government, community, and business leaders in downtown, all dedicated to supporting and facilitating Pershing Square's revitalization. We got the chance to talk with Eduardo Santana, executive director of Pershing Square Renew, about the work that they do. All right, so my name is Eduardo Santana. I'm executive director of Pershing Square Renew. We're a nonprofit uh, public benefit corporation that's focused on renewing Pershing Square as a world-class public space that everybody loves. Where it got started was in the imagination of the downtown community. And as interpreted by Councilmember Weezar and his team, when they took over downtown Los Angeles and after redistricting, they, they identified Pershing Square as a great opportunity to make, make a major impact on the future of downtown. And it was also um, an opportunity that the local community really, really encouraged them to, to look at as an opportunity for, for uh, transformation, as an opportunity to make a huge impact on, on how downtown gets to enjoy their public spaces. And so it really started there. Um, my involvement came out of McFarlane Partners, a developer across the street from the square. From their contribution to the effort, they established a nonprofit corporation uh, with a million dollar seed gift. And I was appointed uh, executive director of that nonprofit. And in essence, the nonprofit has now taken over and uh, aligned all the efforts related to Pershing Square's renewal over the long term uh, under one umbrella. Um, and so all of the activities of the Pershing Square Task Force that the council member put together a couple of years ago, they're now all aligned within the activities of the nonprofit. Well, the primary goal is to have downtown and Los Angeles and really everyone that visits our city fall in love with Pershing Square. And so if you kind of think about what makes people fall in love with a public space, it really, at the heart of it are the memories that they create at that space. 
And so if we're in the business of creating memories, then we're really interested in what types of programs, activities, and uses are, are people going to want to engage in in the heart of downtown with the amazing skyline around it that would ultimately have them create memories that have them fall in love with the space and want to come back over and over again, want to bring back all of their family and friends and make it one of their best places in all of Southern California. And so when we think about it in those terms, our primary focus has, has started with identifying that programmatic vision. Like what's gonna make this a great place? And starting there, we've, we've learned so much from, from all of our various partners, um, from the downtown community. We've just gotten to really understand what that vision is, not from a design perspective, and, and trust me, everyone wants to like have a, a conversation about design. More grass, less grass, concrete, no concrete. People want to talk about design because they feel like they can have, have an opinion on that. But, but really the opportunity right now is for, for us to really define what's going to have us fall in love with this space. What kind of memories do we want to create here? And so we're fully in, in, in the mode of understanding all of those opportunities by listening to the downtown community, holding public forums. We have a, a survey, an online survey out that we're encouraging the downtown community and really all of Los Angeles to respond to so that we have the data that we could then interpret into a vision for how, how the space will actually perform going into the future. So we'll definitely talk about how people get involved, but I do want to touch on design a little more. Mm -hmm. Everybody does have an opinion on design. Is yeah. that something that's a function of what you guys are doing here to look at design changes down the road, obviously with programming coming first? Absolutely. When you start with the placemaking vision or the programmatic vision, the design becomes hypercritical because you want to ensure that the design actually allows for the type of programming that you want to have. Um, and so as part, of our, as part of our schedule, part of our plan, is to hold a, an international design competition later on this year that will conclude either in December or in January of, um, of, of the coming year. And, and through that, we're going to ask the, the world's best and brightest to interpret the programmatic vision that we're developing now, which is based on the community's input, and, and to actually give that a, an actual physical design. But I hope you can understand that, that where we're starting, where we think it's most important, which is how will people actually fall in love with the space? What do they want to do there? And we're confident, just like with any other great real estate development project or any type of great project, if you have a very clear vision for the program, then that, that gives the designers the direction that they need in order to create something truly magnificent. Now we're seeing this wave of residential development and following the residential development are, are a number of retail and cultural and civic amenities that are making this a, a truly unique urban environment that is unlike anything else we really have anywhere in, in, certainly in the city of Los Angeles, and I would say even in Southern California. And it's really emerging as a 24-7 downtown urban environment. And so how does the public now, in this earlier phase, get involved and put their input in? So the first opportunity is to complete the online survey probably takes five minutes and uh, what the survey allows um, the public to do is to comment on the types of 
uh, acti programs, activities, and uses that they would like to see at the square. And it's, it's actually a fun survey to take. There are a number of images of great public spaces from around the world and the, types of, the type of programming that those public spaces have. And so, so they can actually select those images that represent some, some program that they'd like to see at, at Pershing Square and ultimately would like to participate in at Pershing Square. So that's, that's number one. Second is um, we're hosting a, a number of public forums at public spaces in downtown LA over the next couple of months. Uh, one will be on Saturday, April 25th at Grand Park from 11 to 4 p.m., 11 a.m. to 4 p.m. The other one will be at Pershing Square at the Friday night or at the Friday food trucks from uh, 10 a.m. to 2 p.m. on Friday, April 24th. And so those those are the first two of of several what we're calling pop-up workshops where we invite the downtown community to come and to engage in our process to answer some questions and to give us their input. And we really invite the downtown community to engage with us on social media and really to engage with each other and to have a conversation online about, about the possibility that Pershing Square has for all of downtown. You know, what's really exciting is when we think about what's possible beyond the renewal of Pershing Square and we think about the impact that that's going to make on the entire downtown community. A great public space can really flourish in the heart of a district that is, that is magnificent. And that's really the opportunity here. And of course, we'd like to thank Eduardo and Pershing Square Renew. You can find images of Pershing Square and a link to the survey on our website. This is the city.net. heard our intelligent and engaged listeners want to know what you offer if you're a service professional or business looking to reach our growing audience in downtown and beyond contact us at this is the city.net or this is the city podcast at gmail.com In an earlier episode of This is the City, we brought you part one of the story, LAPD Central Division Citizens Academy, where we're students. If you haven't heard it yet, please feel free to go back and listen on our website. Now, as we move forward throughout this series, it's important to note that the officers we hear from are speaking for themselves and not necessarily as representatives of the police department as a whole. It's not official policy what they're saying. But I want to make that clear because the debate will rage in our society about the nature and responsibility of policing, and the understanding must be maintained that we're all just human beings. I value the candid nature of the officers who spoke to us, and here you can hear two undercover officers who work narcotics in Skid Row talk about their experience. What we do around here in the Skid Row area is a lot of people come from outside of this area general vicinity which is usually is a recovery zone here um, I'm sure you guys are aware of that or have seen or heard that this is a recovery zone so a lot of the drug dealers do come here to sell their various types of drugs to all the people that are here that are trying to recover which obviously is not good for them because then they relapse and end up back on drugs and living on the streets as you do see around here they also spoke to the very corporate business structure of the drug trade 
People out here that also work in shifts. You wouldn't think that. I mean, you think one person does one thing during the day and then they go home and that's it. No, they have shifts, unfortunately, like anybody else at any other job. Eight o'clock in the morning, this person's here. They switch off with the next person at noon. Then they switch off with the next person at five. You know, it, it just round and round all night long. And how people who are especially vulnerable looking for drugs can be preyed on. And there is also what what's out there, you know, a lot of people do too is they sell what we call bunk, which is basically a fake narcotic. Um, they'll take whatever, some sort of powder, mostly it's like an aspirin, ground it up, mix it with some water, wait for it to harden, and then sell it to somebody just to make money, you know? And then the risk for that is, you know, that person gets upset, you know, because they think they're getting one thing and they don't. They don't get a high off of it, and they remember the who they got it from, and then now we have, you know. Now someone gets stabbed. Yeah, yeah. most of the time that's usually what happens. You know, somebody gets beat up pretty bad, and you know a lot of people out here they they have no fear of going to jail for whatever reason. I mean, they're kind of at the bottom of their life, and you know they don't they and don't honest, have any cares. Honestly, most of the people you we know? deal with they've been to jail multiple times, and it's just a way of life for them. Just what they're used to. It was disheartening to hear what seemed to be the very circular nature of the problem of drugs on Skid Row. But those drugs don't just show up out of nowhere. The distribution of illegal narcotics is largely controlled by gangs, according to the officers from Central Division's gang unit. The established uh, definition for a gang in the state of California under 186.22 of the Penal Code is a group of persons with a common identifying sign, similar name, whose members individually or collectively engage in a pattern of criminal activity, creating a fear of intimidation within the community. All right, moving along here in Central Division, um, gangs like corporate business, you know, they have an hierarchy, especially for the Hispanic gangs, you know, just from like DMA um, on down to your uh, local street gangs. They have uh, a corporate structure that they need to follow. Uh, you know, they must generate funds here in Central Division. A lot of the uh, way they generate their funds is to drug sales in the area. The notion of the importance of business is a prevalent current in the conversation on drugs and gangs. Well, here in downtown LA, especially in the Skiro area where there's a lot of narcotics, I guess there's some type of agreement between gangsters that they're not gonna feud in here. I mean, you don't see it as much as in the South End. Um, everybody's here for profit, so they're not gonna bring guns in here, although there are a few guns out there. They're not gonna be shooting at each other here because everybody's the money maker. Nobody wants to ruin it for anybody. And as the conversation continued, we shifted into some murky political territory around criminal justice. And now with, um, you know, California is it's one of the most liberal states that we have in the United States. Um, obviously with the pass of AB 109 and Proposition 47, we are releasing the nonviolent offenders back out into the streets. And that's why you're seeing this spike of uh, property crimes going up. Because a lot of them are narcotics users, narcotics sellers, and how do you support that habit? You don't have a job. So you're going to break into people's homes, people's cars, um, you know, commit petty theft, whatever, however you can get your hands on money. Okay. Now here I press the officer on how we can balance the need for reform of the criminal justice system through legislation while still dealing with the lack of opportunity to change that leads to high recidivism. Well, somebody in the California Department of Corrections and Rehabilitation, I don't know where the ball got dropped. Obviously, they need to take the R out of the rehabilitation portion of it. Because a lot of these guys, even though they were still locked up and being released, whether on parole 
or they timed out, they were still going back to whatever they were doing. So there is no rehabilitation going on, whether it's whether they're locked up in the California prison system or they're back out on the street, they're not getting the help that they need. And that's what we're seeing now, especially in the Skid Row area, has a high concentration of parolees and probationers that have been released out on the street with no education, no job, no resources. It, they're getting overwhelmed at the missions, at Homeboy Industries, and that's why we have this problem. I mean, how, how do you fix it? I don't know, that's, I guess that's up to the politicians to figure out. But unfortunately, we as a society, we get stuck with it, right? And we as Californians voted for Prop 47. We passed it, right? So obviously, we, we didn't think it was a big enough problem. Also, we heard from senior lead officer Dion Joseph, who spoke directly and candidly about how he experienced police as a young man. But as a young, but I've been black longer than I've been a cop. Let's be honest. And I was not a fan of police departments when I was a young man. I hated cops. Yeah, I was racially profiled a couple of times as a kid, but I was not stopped by all 4,000 members of the Long Beach Police Department, but those two negative contacts shaped my worldview on top of what was being shown on TV, colors was out. Well, I really hated cops then. <laughs> and how he sees community policing. These are things that I do every day to help me help the community trust me. And the first thing up here, if you can't read it, I'll read it to you. When you suit up, leave your worldview at the door. Look, I got a political view. I got, I'm a Christian. I got a faith-based view. I'm black. I have a black view. But when I put this uniform on, it's all about blue and helping you. I don't care if you're gay. I don't care if you're straight. I don't care if you're transgender, black, white, blue, aborigines. When I put this thing on, I don't see color. I see victims, suspects, justice. That's all I see. Because if you're policing based on your worldview or, or, or uh, perception, you end up putting your fellow officers in the mess we're in right now. Because we did have a few coppers out there policing based on someone's color. Oh, he's a black guy, he's gotta be, he's gotta be committing crimes, okay? Or he's gay, I'm a Christian, I don't wanna deal with that crap. <laughs> That's real. You're not helping anybody. You're not helping us or this community. And by maintaining an open mindset, Dion was able to change his own perception of what some of the work is on Skid Row. I didn't believe in the missions. I thought the missions were a joke. I thought they were a scam. Oh, it's just a homeless farm. You know, they're exploiting these people in the name of God. You know, they're not, these people aren't getting better. I went, I got this start, and I went into the Union Rescue Mission with that same mentality. I'm going to go, but I ain't going to like it. See what the scam is all about. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah. Got to the third floor, and I saw dozens of people who I sent to prison. Who, when I sent them to prison, I said, Good Lord, there's no hope for that man. He might as well dig himself a hole and jump in it because he's going to die. And these men and women were clean. In particular, one statement stood out about how Officer Joseph sees community policing. Sometimes I want the community to know who I am, not just what I do. We'll be bringing you much more from the LAPD Citizens Academy in future episodes, so please stay tuned.
Coming up, our commentary segment, The Big Question. Here at This is the City, we know how important information is to staying involved in your community. If you enjoy our work, please consider donating on our website. You can also help others discover the show by sharing us on social media or leaving a review in iTunes. And thank you so much for listening. Now, this one really is a big question because it asks us to do some self-examination. It is no secret by now that our criminal justice system is dysfunctional. The ideal image of Lady Justice being blind while holding the scales we must admit now is not real. What John Rawls called the veil of ignorance has certainly been lifted. Not just in the proven absence of fairness in the system, but in an increasingly, glaringly visible way. It is an abscess on our collective skin. Over time, we've grown so focused on punishing crime that we've ignored the concept of rehabilitation and reintegration into society. It seems we know we have a system that doesn't work properly, but yet we keep building more prisons as if that will somehow magically fix our issues. It doesn't work, so let's do more of it, right? Now is the time of our great reckoning on justice. In California, we must admit that Prop 47 and AB 109 aren't just about the people who have already been convicted of crime. It is about those who may commit crime. Felony drug conviction at a young age? How are you going to get a job now or a student loan to go to college? We set people up to be excluded from society with no real path to redemption and reintegration. And then we wonder why so many go back to jail on an endless loop. As we wake up to the failure, there will be many tough conversations. Police cannot abdicate their role as the gateway to the criminal justice system. Prosecutors cannot ignore their complicity in a system that does not do what it espouses. And we as citizens must ask ourselves again, what is justice? What do we expect? Because if you think like many do that jail actually makes better criminals then why should we continue to fund that type of education? Thank you for joining this week on This is the City as we talked Pershing Square Renew and visited the LAPD Citizens Academy. Join us next time on This is the City for more politics, art, and culture that make Los Angeles. The show is written and produced by me, Garen Kelsaw, and my partner, Jonas Osnowski. Our theme music is by Taj Simmons. You can find us on iTunes and Stitcher. And we're on Twitter at ThisIsTheCityLA or Facebook at Facebook.com slash ThisIsTheCity. Send us a message or leave a comment. Let us know what you think and what you want to hear on upcoming episodes. Until next time, be well. Be well.